This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Drinkwater in Madison, Wisconsin, January 27, 2008. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3, Chapter 9. Part B. On reviving, she found herself supported by the stranger, who was watching over her recovery, with a countenance of ineffable tenderness and anxiety. She had no spirits for reply or enquiry. She asked no questions, but burst into tears, and disengaged herself from his arms. When the expression of his countenance changed to surprise and disappointment, and he turned to Ludovico for an explanation, Annette soon gave the information, which Ludovico could not. "'Oh, sir,' said she, in a voice interrupted with sobs, "'oh, sir, you are not the other chevalier. "'We expected Monsieur Valancourt, but you are not he. "'Oh, Ludovico, how could you deceive us so? "'My poor lady will never recover it, never!' The stranger, who now appeared much agitated, attempted to speak, but his words faltered, and then striking his hand against his forehead, as if in sudden despair, he walked abruptly to the other end of the corridor. Suddenly, Annette dried her tears and spoke to Ludovico. But perhaps, said she, after all, the other chevalier is not this. Perhaps the chevalier Valancourt is still below. Emily raised her head. No, replied Ludovico. Monsieur Valancourt never was below if this gentleman is not he. If you, sir, said Ludovico, addressing the stranger, would but have had the goodness to trust me with your name, this mistake had been avoided. Most true, replied the stranger, speaking in broken Italian, but it was of the utmost consequence to me that my name should be concealed from Montigny. Madame, added he then, addressing Emily in French. Will you permit me to apologize for the pain I have occasioned you, and to explain to you alone my name and the circumstance which has led me into this error? I am of France, I am your countryman. We are met in a foreign land. Emily tried to compose her spirits, yet she hesitated to grant his request. At length, Desiring that Ludovico would wait on the staircase, and, detaining Annette, she told the stranger that her woman understood very little Italian, and begged he would communicate what he wished to say in that language. Having withdrawn to a distant part of the corridor, he said, with a long-drawn sigh, You, madame, are no stranger to me, though I am so unhappy as to be unknown to you. My name is Dupont, I am a France of Gascony, your native province, and have long admired, and why should I affect to disguise it, have long loved you. He paused, but in the next moment proceeded. My family, madame, is probably not unknown to you, for we lived within a few miles of La Vallée, and I have, sometimes, had the happiness of meeting you on visits in the neighborhood. 
I will not offend you by repeating how much you interested me, how much I loved to wander in the scenes you frequented, how often I visited your favorite fishing house, and lamented the circumstance, which, at that time, forbade me to reveal my passion. I will not explain how I surrendered to temptation and became possessed of a treasure which was to me inestimable, a treasure which I committed to your messenger a few days ago with expectations very different from my present ones. I will say nothing of these circumstances, for I know they will avail me little. Let me only supplicate from you forgiveness, and the picture which I so unwarily returned. Your generosity will pardon the theft and restore the prize. My crime has been my punishment, for the portrait I stole has contributed to nourish a passion which must still be my torment. Emily now interrupted him. I think, sir, I may leave it to your integrity to determine whether, after what has just happened concerning Monsieur Valancourt, I ought to return the picture. I think you will acknowledge that this would not be generosity, and you will allow me to add that it would be doing myself an injustice. I must consider myself honored by your good opinion, but, and she hesitated, the mistake of this evening makes it unnecessary for me to say more. It does, madame, alas, it does, said the stranger, who, after a long pause, proceeded. But you will allow me to shew my disinterestedness, though not my love, and will accept the services I offer. Yet, alas, what services can I offer? I am myself a prisoner, a sufferer like you. But, dear as liberty is to me, I would not seek it through half the hazards I would encounter to deliver you from this recess of vice. Accept the offered services of a friend. Do not refuse me the reward of having, at least, attempted to deserve your thanks. You deserve them already, sir, said Emily. The wish deserves my warmest thanks. But you will excuse me for reminding you of the danger you incur by prolonging this interview. It will be a great consolation to me to remember, whether your friendly attempts to release me succeed or not, that I have a countryman who would so generously protect me. Dupont took her hand, which she but feebly attempted to withdraw, and pressed it respectfully to his lips. Allow me to breathe another fervent sigh for your happiness, said he, and to applaud myself for an affection which I cannot conquer. As he said this, Emily heard a noise from her apartment, and, turning round, saw the door from the staircase open, and a man rush into her chamber. "'I will teach you to conquer it,' cried he, as he advanced into the corridor, and drew a stiletto, which he aimed at Dupont, who was unarmed, but who, stepping back, avoided the blow, and then sprung upon Baretzi, from whom he wrenched the stiletto." While they struggled in each other's grasps, Emily, followed by Annette, ran further into the corridor, calling on Ludovico, who was, however, gone from the staircase, and, as she advanced, terrified and uncertain what to do, a distant noise that seemed to arise from the hall reminded her of the danger she was incurring, and, sending Annette forward in search of Ludovico, she returned to the spot where Dupont and Verezzi were still struggling for victory. It was her own cause which was to be decided, with that of the former, whose conduct 
independently of this circumstance, would, however, have interested her in his success, even had she not disliked and dreaded Verezzi. She threw herself in a chair, and supplicated them to desist from further violence, till, at length, Dupont forced Verezzi to the floor, where he lay stunned by the violence of his fall, and she then entreated Dupont to escape from the room before Montigny or his party should appear. But he still refused to leave her unprotected, and, while Emily, now more terrified for him than for herself, enforced the entreaty, they heard steps ascending the private staircase. "'Oh, you are lost!' cried she. "'These are Montigny's people!' Dupont made no reply, but supported Emily, while, with a steady though eager countenance, he awaited their appearance, and in the next moment, Ludovico alone mounted the landing-place, throwing a hasty glance round the chamber. "'Follow me,' said he, "'as you value your lives. We have not an instant to lose.' Emily inquired what had occurred, and whither they were to go. "'I cannot stay to tell you now, signora,' replied Ludovico. "'Fly! Fly!' She immediately followed him, accompanied by Monsieur Dupont, down the staircase and along the vaulted passage when suddenly she recollected Annette and inquired for her. She awaits us further on, signora, said Ludovico, almost breathless with haste. The gates were open, a moment since, to a party just come in from the mountains. They will be shut, I fear, before we can reach them. Through this door, signora, added Ludovico, holding down the lamp. Take care, here are two steps. Emily followed, trembling still more than before she had understood that her escape from the castle depended upon the present moment. While Dupont supported her, and endeavored, as they passed along, to cheer up her spirits. Speak low, signor, said Ludovico. These passages send echoes all round the castle. Take care of the light, cried Emily. You go so fast, the air will extinguish it. Ludovico now opened another door, where they found a net and the party then descended a short flight of steps into a passage, which, Ludovico said, led round the inner court of the castle, and opened into the outer one. As they advanced, confused and tumultuous sounds that seemed to come from the inner court alarmed Emily. Ne signora, replied Ludovico, our only hope is in that tumult. While the signor's people are busied about the men, who are just arrived, we may, perhaps, pass unnoticed through the gates, but hush, he added, as they approached a small door that opened into the outer court. If you will remain here a moment, I will go to see whether the gates are open and anybody is in the way. Pray, extinguish the light, signor, if you hear me talking, continued Lodovico, delivering the lamp to Dupont, and remain quite still. Saying this, he stepped out upon the court, and they closed the door, listening anxiously to his departing steps. No voice, however, was heard in the court, which he was crossing, though a confusion of many voices yet issued from the inner one. We shall soon be beyond the walls, said Dupont to Emily. Support yourself a little longer, madame, and all will be well. But soon they heard Ludovico speaking loud, and the voice also of some other person, and Dupont immediately extinguished the lamp. Ah, it is too late, 
exclaimed Emily, what is to become of us? They listened again, and then perceived that Ludovico was talking with a sentinel, whose voices were heard also by Emily's favorite dog, that had followed her from the chamber, and now barked loudly. This dog will betray us, said Dupont. I will hold him. I fear he has already betrayed us, replied Emily. Dupont, however, caught him up, and again listening to what was going on without, they heard Ludovico say, I'll watch the gates for a while. Stay a minute, replied the sentinel, and you need not have the trouble, for the horses will be sent round to the outer stables, then the gates will be shut, and I can leave my post. I don't mind the trouble, comrade, said Ludovico. You will do such another good turn for me sometime. Go, go, and fetch the wine. The rogues that are just come in will drink it all else. The soldier hesitated, and then called aloud to the people in the second court to know why they did not send out the horses, that the gates might be shut. But they were too much engaged to attend him, even if they heard his voice. Aye, aye, said Ludovico. They know better than that. They are sharing it all among them. If you wait till the horses come out, you must wait till the wine is drunk. I have had my share already, but since you do not care about yours, I see no reason why I should not have that too. Hold, hold, not so fast, cried the sentinel. Do watch then for a moment. I'll be with you presently. Don't hurry yourself, said Ludovico coolly. I have kept the guard before now. But you may leave me your trombone, that if the castle should be attacked, you know... I may be able to defend the pass like a hero. Note, a trombone is a kind of blunderbuss. A.R. There, my good fellow, returned the soldier. There, take it. It has seen service, though it could do little in defending the castle. I'll tell you a good story, though, about this same trombone. You'll tell it better when you've had the wine, said Ludovico. There, they're coming out from the court already. I'll have the wine, though, said the sentinel, running off. I won't keep you a minute. Take your time. I am in no haste, replied Ludovico, who was already hurrying across the court when the soldier came back. Whither so fast, friend? Whither so fast, said the latter. What? Is this the way you keep watch? I must stand to post myself, I see. Aye, well, replied Ludovico. You have saved me the trouble of following you further, for I wanted to tell you, if you have a mind to drink the Tuscany wine, you must go to Sebastian. He is dealing it out. The other that Federico has is not worth having. But you are not likely to have any, I see, for they are all coming out. By St. Peter, so they are, said the soldier, and again ran off. While Ludovico, once more at liberty, hastened to the door of the passage, where Emily was sinking under the anxiety this long discourse had occasioned. But, on his telling them the court was clear, they followed him to the gates, without waiting another instant, yet not before he had seized two horses that had strayed from the second court and were picking a scanty meal among the grass which grew between the pavement of the first. They passed, without interruptions, the dreadful gates, and took the road that led down among the woods, Emily, Monsieur de Pont, and Annette on foot and Ludovico, who was mounted on one horse, leading the other. Having reached them, they stopped, while Emily and Annette were placed on horseback with their two protectors, when Ludovico, leading the way, 
they set off as fast as the broken road and the feeble light, which a rising moon threw among the foliage, would permit. Emily was so much astonished by this sudden departure, that she scarcely dared to believe herself awake, and she yet much doubted whether this adventure would terminate in escape, a doubt which had too much probability to justify it, for before they quitted the woods they heard shouts in the wind, and, on emerging from them, saw lights moving quickly near the castle above. Dupont whipped his horse, and, with some difficulty, compelled him to go faster. "'Ah, poor beast!' said Ludovico. "'He is weary enough. He has been out all day. But, signor, we must fly for it. Now, for yonder are lights coming this way.' Having given his own horse a lash, they now both set off, on a full gallop, and, when they again looked back, the lights were so distant as scarcely to be discerned, and the voices were sunk into silence. The travelers then abated their pace, and, consulting whither they should direct their course, it was determined they should descend into Tuscany, and endeavor to reach the Mediterranean, where they could readily embark for France. Thither Dupont meant to attend Emily, if he should learn, that the regiment he had accompanied into Italy was now returned to his native country. They were now in the road which Emily had traveled with Ugo and Bertrand, but Ludovico, who was the only one of the party acquainted with the passes of these mountains, said that, a little further on, a by-road branching from this would lead them down into Tuscany with very little difficulty, and that, at a few leagues' distance, there was a small town where necessaries could be procured for their journey. But, I hope, added he, we shall meet with no struggling parties of banditti. Some of them are abroad, I know. However, I have got a good trombone, which will be of some service, if we should encounter any of those brave spirits. You have no arm, signor? Yes, replied Dupont. I have the villain stiletto who would have stabbed me, but let us rejoice in our escape from Udolfo, nor torment ourselves with looking out for dangers that may never arrive. The moon was now risen high over the woods that hung upon the sides of the narrow glen through which they wandered, and afforded them light sufficient to distinguish their way and to avoid the loose and broken stones that frequently crossed it. They now traveled leisurely and in profound silence, for they had scarcely yet recovered from the astonishment into which this sudden escape had thrown them. Emily's mind especially was sunk, after the various emotions it had suffered, into a kind of musing stillness, which the reposing beauty of the surrounding scene and the creeping murmur of the night breeze among the foliage above contributed to prolong. She thought of Valancourt and of France with hope, and she would have thought of them with joy, had not the first events of this evening harassed her spirits too much to prevent her now to feel so lively a sensation. Meanwhile, Emily was alone the object of Dupont's melancholy consideration. Yet, with the despondency he suffered, as he mused on his recent disappointment, was mingled a sweet pleasure, occasioned by her presence, 
though they did not now exchange a single word. Annette thought of this wonderful escape, of the bustle in which Montigny and his people must be, now that their flight was discovered, of her native country, whither she hoped she was returning, and of her marriage with Ludovico, to which there no longer appeared any impediment, for poverty she did not consider such. Ludovico, on his part, congratulated himself on having rescued his Annette and Signora Emily from the danger that had surrounded them on his own liberation from people whose manners he had long detested, on the freedom he had given to Monsieur Dupont, on his prospect of happiness with the object of his affections, and not a little on the address with which he had deceived the sentinel and conducted the whole of this affair. Thus variously engaged in thought, the travelers passed on silently for above an hour, a question only being now and then asked by Dupont concerning the road, or a remark uttered by Annette respecting objects seen imperfectly in the twilight. At length, lights were perceived twinkling on the side of a mountain, and Ludovico had no doubt that they proceeded from the town he had mentioned, while his companions, satisfied by this assurance, sunk again into silence. Annette was the first who interrupted this. Holy Peter, said she, what shall we do for money on our journey? For I know neither I nor my lady have a single sequin. The Signor took care of that. This remark produced a serious inquiry, which was ended in a serious and embarrassment, for Dupont had been rifled of nearly all his money when he was taken prisoner. The remainder he had given to the sentinel, who had enabled him occasionally to leave his prison chamber, and Ludovico, who had for some time found a difficulty in procuring any part of the wages due to him, had now scarcely cash sufficient to procure necessary refreshment at the first town in which they should arrive. Their poverty was the more distressing, since it would detain them among the mountains, where, even in a town, they could scarcely consider themselves safe from Montigny. The travelers, however, had only to proceed and dare the future and they continued their way through lonely wilds and dusky valleys, where the overhanging foliage now admitted and then excluded the moonlight, wilds so desolate that they appeared, on the first glance, as if no human being had ever trod them before. Even the road in which the party were did but slightly contradict this error for the high grass and other luxuriant vegetation with which it was overgrown told how very seldom the foot of a traveler had passed it. At length, from a distance, was heard the faint tinkling of a sheep bell, and soon after the bleat of flocks, and the party then knew that they were near some human habitation, for the light which Ludovico had fancied to proceed from a town had long been concealed by intervening mountains. Cheered by this hope, they quickened their pace along the narrow pass they were winding, and it opened upon one of those pastoral valleys of the Apennine, which might be painted for a scene of Arcadia, and whose beauty and simplicity are finely contrasted by the grandeur of the snow-topped mountains above. The morning light, now glimmering in the horizon, shewed faintly 
at a little distance upon the brow of a hill, which seemed to peep from under the opening eyelids of the morn, the town they were in search of, and which they soon after reached. It was not without some difficulty that they there found a house which could afford shelter for themselves and their horses, and Emily desired they might not rest longer than was necessary for refreshment. Her appearance excited some surprise, for she was without a hat, having had time only to throw on her veil before she left the castle, a circumstance that compelled her to regret again the want of money without which it was impossible to procure this necessary article of dress. Ludovico, on examining his purse, found it even insufficient to supply present refreshment, and Dupont, at length, ventured to inform the landlord, whose countenance was simple and honest, of their exact situation, and requested that he would assist them to pursue their journey, a purpose which he promised to comply with, as far as he was able, when he learned that they were prisoners escaping from Montigny, whom he had too much reason to hate. But though he consented to lend them fresh horses to carry them to the next town, he was too poor himself to trust them with money, and they were again lamenting their poverty, when Ludovico, who had been with his tired horses to the hovel, which served for a stable, entered the room half frantic with joy, in which his auditors soon participated. On removing the saddle from one of the horses, he had found beneath it a small bag, containing, no doubt, the booty of one of the condottieri, who had returned from a plundering excursion. Just before Ludovico left the castle, and whose horse having strayed from the inner court, while his master was engaged in drinking, had brought away the treasure, which the ruffian had considered the reward of his exploit. On counting over this, Dupont found that it would be more than sufficient to carry them all to France, where he now determined to accompany Emily, whether he should obtain intelligence of his regiment or not. For, though he had as much confidence in the integrity of Ludovico as his small knowledge of him allowed, he could not endure the thought of committing her to his care for the voyage, nor, perhaps, had he resolution enough to deny himself the dangerous pleasure which he might derive from her presence. He now consulted them concerning the seaport, to which they should direct their way, and Ludovico, better informed of the geography of the country, said that Leghorn was the nearest port of consequence which Dupont knew also to be the most likely of any in Italy to assist their plan, since from thence vessels of all nations were continually departing. Thither, therefore, it was determined that they should proceed. Emily, having purchased the little straw hat, such as was worn by the peasant girls of Tuscany, and some other little necessary equipments for the journey, and the travelers, having exchanged their tired horses for others better able to carry them, recommenced their joyous way, as the sun was rising over the mountains, and, after traveling through this romantic country for several hours, began to descend into the vale of Arno, and here Emily beheld all the charms of sylvan and pastoral landscape united, adorned with the elegant villas of the Florentine nobles, 
and diversified with the various riches of cultivation. How vivid the shrubs that embowered the slopes with the woods that stretched amphitheatrically along the mountains, and, above all, how elegant the outline of these waving Apennine, now softening from the wildness which their interior regions exhibited. At a distance, in the east, Emily discovered Florence, with its towers rising on the brilliant horizon, and its luxuriant plain spreading to the feet of the Apennine, speckled with gardens and magnificent villas, or colored with groves of orange and lemon, with vines, corn, and plantations of olives and mulberry, while, to the west, the vale opened to the waters of the Mediterranean, so distant that they were known only by a bluish line that appeared upon the horizon, and by the light marine vapor which just stained the aether above. With a full heart, Emily hailed the waves that were to bear her back to her native country, the remembrance of which, however, brought with it a pang, for she had there no home to receive, no parents to welcome her, but was going, like a forlorn pilgrim, to weep over the sad spot where he who was her father lay interred. Nor were her spirits cheered when she considered how long it would probably be before she should see Valancourt, who might be stationed with his regiment in a distant part of France, and that, when they did meet, it would be only to lament the successful villainy of Montigny. Yet, still she would have felt inexpressible delight at the thought of being once more in the same country with Valancourt, had it even been certain that she could not see him. End of chapter 9, part B